The reading this morning is Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 to 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain hill and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out! And I said, What shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, we ask that you would gently lead us through this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God, as Apostle Paul says as a reference earlier in 2 Corinthians. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. The first part of Isaiah, chapter 1 to 39, does contain some refrains of comfort, but mainly the tone is judgment and warning, judgment over Israel's sin and warning what will happen to them if they don't repent. Uh, And then it's believed that this next part of Isaiah 40 and the next few chapters is um, written to the people of Judah as they are being taken into captivity in Babylon. So uh, a great amount of distress. It's that they're that their world has ended, their life has ended. I had a, um, a friend, refugee friend called Puria uh, from Iran. I think I first met him when he was 13 and, or 14. And probably is the greatest privilege of my curacy in Great Horton was being friends with Puria and seeing him grow, grow up. And um, he, his dad had to flee from Iran because he was... Uh, involved with some kind of problem around uh, 
a building project which meant that his life was under threat. So he fled to the UK and his wife was very depressed with him being away. They were fairly well-off family in Iran, middle class, a nice house, holiday home. Um, hi, Rach. And uh, whilst, um, whilst he was away and she, she was looking very depressed and someone on the school run uh, asked her why she was so sad and she said why she was and she said, this person whispered to her, I've, I've become a Christian um, and uh, I, I wonder if, if you read this, it, it might help you. And she gave her a Bible and then she um, prayed, prayed for her and she said that she found that that prayer really helped lift her mood and then when she went home, she read the Bible and over a, a period of a few weeks gave her life to, to Jesus um, and uh, she then attend, started attending an underground church in Iran, but the, the church was infiltrated and they found all of the um, names and numbers of everyone who was attending that church. And this was uh, immediately given out to the underground congregation and many people, I think many people chose to flee instead of um, the prospect of being imprisoned. So... They, uh, they were wealthy, and so they could afford to pay, essentially, to people smugglers to get them out of the country. And um, Puria, he tells the story, very, even when he had very poor English, he was still able to make me laugh in the little English that he had. Um, and he said to me, I knew we had to leave Iran because it was unsafe for my, for my mum, but when I, when I left Iran, my life ended. He said, that's what he said to me, my life ended. And very much how the Israelites would have felt having to leave uh, Jerusalem and the towns around it, that their, their life had ended. I'll just finish that story because it's a story of great hope. Um, they were amongst some of the refugees in Calais and were um, on, a, on a lorry inside a huge container. I can't remember the number of days that they were inside that container, but it is days. It's days that they weren't, they weren't able to leave this this horrible box um, but it had air holes in it um, and dogs came on in Calais to search the lorry and Puria's mom was praying and praying that the dogs wouldn't discover them and Puria, a very cheeky boy, <laughs> had his eye up to the air hole and one of the Alsatians took its snout inside the air hole and poked Puria in the eye and yet didn't bark didn't bark, didn't, he actually touched the dog and the dog didn't bark and he said that is the moment where he started to wonder whether the faith of his parents um, might have some bearing in reality. And then at, at Soul Survivor, Puria, which is a, a Christian youth conference, Puria met with God in a very brave, profound way and he, he, was, he was crying and when he, he, he said to me, that thing which I said to you earlier, when I left Iran, I said to myself, my, my life is over, but I will be brave for my mom. Um, but he said that he heard Jesus say to him, this is the first, day of, this is the first new day of your new life. And he, he's saying that with, in, a, in a string vest, crying <laughs> at Soul Survivor. Very, very moving. Um, um, a tutor teaching preachers once said, uh, 
Speak to broken hearts and you will always have an audience. There will be some of us here who we will be aware in this fellowship who have gone through um, great tribulations, great, great testing, and, and we will be praying for each other, praying that we would receive the Lord's comfort. But um, I think all of us will have something in our lives that feels weighty and heavy that we are broken-hearted over. I'm convinced that's true, actually, as I've spoken to people. And so each of us, in a, in a special way, are desiring and needing the Lord's comfort to speak to us and to touch our lives today. I'm going to listen in a moment to a piece of music because I, I thought I would like to tell you about the Lord's comfort, but this, this song came to my mind. Do we have any believers in the house today? Any, any Justin Bieber fans? Is it, the story of Justin Bieber is a fascinating one. <laughs> a child star, then a reprobate, and now somehow uh, in his own way, and maybe not in a perfect way, a uh, representative of Jesus in the music industry. And, and this is a really beautiful song, which I think sums up much better than I could about the Lord's comfort. It's about four and a half minutes long. I find that a really, really special song. Second verse. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. When we think of this and apply it to the life of a Christian, we should be thrilled with the truth of the gospel, that um, our sins have been paid for, that we... um, uh, as as John says in his epistle uh, what kind of love has the father lavished on us that we should be called the children of God a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God every valley shall be raised up every mountain and hill made low the rough ground shall become level the rugged place a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When in ancient times when a a king was going to visit somewhere there would be a herald sent to that place long before the king would make the journey and say you need to make the road straight, you need to prepare a way for him to come and there's all over the ancient world, there are boulevards and straight roads built, especially for the journey of a Caesar or a great king. And even in very recent times, we have roads all over the UK built for Queen Victoria as she was going around the country. Uh, Wolverhampton has some statues, a great statue of Queen Victoria, as lots of um, places do, and a great statue called the Man on the Horse, where when I was young, goths and emos would gather around. Uh, are you going to the Man on the Horse? And uh, it was Prince Albert, of course, and constructed at great expense by the people of Wolverhampton. And very sadly, Queen Victoria asked for her um, curtains to be closed as she passed through Wolverhampton because <laughs> she said it was so ugly. <laughs> Uh, the, the, uh, the black country. Um, when, you, when you say that to Americans, they're like, 
what? <laughs> a black country? No, it's just because it was, it was dirty, because such was the industry of, uh, of the West Midlands. But um, we have that too, don't we, in Bradford? The, the great statue of Queen Victoria built for her, her visit. So it's, this is um, not such an ancient idea. But, um, and this was the message of John the Baptist. The, this Bible verse is referenced for the ministry of John the Baptist, that he was to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus, to make a, a, a level place, to take out any obstacle that may be in the way for the message of the kingdom. Um, whenever God is about to do a great work, before he does so, there is a great preparation. It makes me wonder if God was to do a great work in Bradford and in Frising Hall, how might he be preparing us and how might we even see amongst us at the moment signs of his preparation it's also something to think during advent you know as we it's funny talking to the children on um uh, thursday because i can't help find myself use language like saying advent is the time that we prepare to welcome the lord jesus on christmas day and one of the children said well i thought I thought that happened a long time ago. And I said, well, yeah, yeah, it, it did. <laughs> but, but we remember it on Christmas Day. And in a sense, he is um, born again into our lives. It's an opportunity to receive Jesus again, which after I left, I thought, I didn't explain that very well to the poor eight-year-old Muslim girl. <laughs> anyway, hopefully God will be gracious um, there. Uh, but how, how are our hearts being prepared? Uh, how are we making a level place during Advent? It's a time of anticipation and preparation of the Lord's coming on Christmas. And indeed, as, as Jamie said earlier, for the return of the King. How might be the Lord preparing a people for one day when, uh, as it says in that, um, uh, that hymn, when, when, when the skies will thrill with rapture and myriad, myriad, angel voices sing how might be the lord preparing us for the day when he returns to this earth reading um six to to eight a voice says cry out and i said what should i cry that's a good 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 answer from the prophet and the lord says all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. So it's a a message of repentance. It's to remind humanity of, of what they are, frail and in need of help. This is the message of John the Baptist. Repent, for the kingdom of God is close at hand. One of the largest investments of billionaires, of Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates, um, I think Elon Musk as well, so interesting. One of their largest investments is in um, something which has the umbrella title of the Gilgamesh Project, which is essentially finding the fountain of youth, which in the, the epic of Gilgamesh uh, has within it the, what we call the fountain of youth. Um, and it is this is a search for immortality. And I've, I've actually read a, a couple of books on this. There's a, a great book called, uh, um, by a scientist called David Sinclair. And the science is really interesting that they, they really think that they are on the cusp of scientific endeavors that 
cease the aging process, that people could perpetually be around the age of 40 into forever. And some people are looking at me like, the idea of that is frightening. <laughs> but, but I suppose if you're, if you're the richest and most powerful man in the world, the idea of death probably is even more of a bummer than we might think of it as. Um, and uh, um, I think it's, 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 it's very interesting. And, and that is, I suppose, a very naked and clear type of immortality project. But we all have kinds of immortality projects. You know, things, are, for many of us, our, our children are kind of like that. I think we want to pass something on to the next generation. Or and then there's a hope that our work may, may carry on. And I, th- I, think, that, I think that generally that, that's, that's, quite, that's quite a good thing for us to be uh, going after. But um, there is... There is something here about uh, kind of like a Tower of Babel project that the, um, these very wealthy people are trying to pursue, that if, if we could live forever, we might become like God. And that is actually part of the story of the Garden of Eden and why they are cast out of the garden is if they remain here, they, they may eat of the tree of life. And then God says, then they will become like us. And I suppose what he's saying, why that would be such a tragedy, is they would be uh, wayward, sinful, and yet also immortal. Kind of like uh, a a horrible and marred depiction of what God is is really, really like. Um, And then it, it says, but the word of our God endures forever. Something that um, Muslims are very confident on is the uh, the authority of the Quran. You say this has never been um, adapted or changed. It's something that very regularly will come up in conversations with with Muslims, and um, it's very interesting how that's less of that's not something so much that Christians would be uh, talking about. Like that, one of one of the foundations of their faith may not be the. Um, authenticity and lack of corruption in the Bible. And um, that might be because we've had to face the kind of textual criticism from the Enlightenment period when we know there are certain inconsistencies within the Scriptures um, in terms of uh, different texts saying slightly different things. And yet, if you, if you look into all of those um, inconsistencies, it is utterly remarkable how we receive our scriptures today and how they have been preserved over the last 2,000 years and way before. The Dead Sea Scrolls, remarkable uh, in how close and, and actually almost identical um, the, the, the scriptures we receive today. There was um, a French diplomat said, I, in, in, in the French Revolution, said, my, my desire is to wipe out Christianity and to crush the church and one of his advisors said um, the anvil of the Christian Bible has blunted the hammer of everyone who has tried and I advise you not to. Um, Voltaire said during his life in the 18th century that in another hundred years Christianity will have passed out of the minds of people and a hundred years later the Geneva Bible Society were printing Bibles in Voltaire's house. It's remarkable that though through persecution 
and through suffering and with many attempts to try and wipe out, uh, Christians and particularly wipe out and destroy the Bible. Um, Diocletian ordered the burning of every Bible uh, in the Roman Empire and yet we have more copies of the Bible from that period than nearly any other, um, well, not nearly, any, any other work of um, ancient literature. Uh, it's amazing. I'll uh, try and share briefly, because I don't want to say too long, but um, uh, the, the, the word of God endures forever. That is something about the authority of Scripture, but it's also something about the message, the message of the gospel, that the message of the gospel still stands today. I've been um, thrilled, amazed by the story of Ian Hersia Lee. I don't know whether anyone has heard of Ian Hersia Lee. Someone I, I shared about, the, I shared this story at the PCC meeting uh, on Monday. But she was a, a member of the New Atheists, so a contemporary of Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins and, and, and the like. Christopher Hitchens said, she is, is the most remarkable academic to ever come out of Africa. She's from Kenya. Uh, I won't I, I tell her story very shortly. Um, a, 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 had a radical Islamist faith, was a member of the Muslim Brotherhood in Kenya, and then um, fled an arranged marriage and ended up in Holland, where she became an MP. And at the uh, Twin Towers attack, she, um, people were saying, this has nothing to do with religion. And yet she knew that it at least had something to do with religion. Um, and she wrote a, a public piece where she renounced her faith and became a leading atheist and contemporary of, of these people. And, she, and she's been writing ever since, really, on this vein. Um, and a very, very brave woman, a hugely controversial person, had to uh, flee for her life again for, to Holland, to, to America. A complicated and sad story. Um, but recently, she has um, published an essay and now has done a number of video interviews where she said, I've, I have converted to Christianity. I've given my life to Jesus. And quite, quite incredible. And um, in this very poignant interview, it's, 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 if you want to look at it, it's unheard on YouTube. Just type in Ian Hersealy, unheard. This will come up. And uh, the interviewer asks her, well, she, she, what are the personal reasons for your conversion? And she said, well, I was very, very depressed. And I tried everything. She said, I drank enough alcohol to sanitize the hospital, but, but nothing was working. And she was attending therapy in, in America. And the therapist wondered whether she was suffering from kind of a, a spiritual nihilism, spiritual emptiness. Uh, and she was asking her about her spirituality. She said, well, I don't believe in God. You clearly don't know very much about me. <laughs> but uh, I don't believe in God. And if, and if, there, if there was a God, as he is described, I think I, I hate him. Um, but anyway, the therapist suggested, well, um, well why, why don't you think, if, if you were to have a spirituality, what might it look like? So she tasked her by going away and, and writing out, if there were a God, what would she like him to be like? So she went away and did this. And as she looked at the list, she said... I had to summon up quite a lot of moral courage because I realized that this was not a new God, but the list that I had written was Jesus Christ. Um, and she said it took a lot of um, moral fiber and courage to admit that to herself. And she said to her husband, I think maybe we should begin to attend church. And so they have been over the past year. She's been exploring 
the Christian faith and is now willing to name herself as a Christian. And what that gives me great confidence in and why it encourages me so much is that the word of God stands forever. That this message is a universal message and is still turning the hearts of people, even the most hard of hearts. If there was ever a, a Saul of Tarsus in the modern era, it, it, we could pray for Dawkins, but um, it, it would be I am her Lee, and the Lord has moved her heart. And I'm sure many people have prayed for her. I, I certainly have as I've, as I've read her books. So an encouragement to you, and I'll, I'll, I'll read the next few verses to carry on that encouragement. You who bring good news to Zion, go on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. So like that um, Christmas song, go, go tell it on the mountain. So to think, who will you be sharing Christmas with or Christmas parties with friends and family that you will be able to share in some way this message that stands forever, the word of God that stands forever. I spend Christmas with my brothers and sister, all of which have had faith in the Lord Jesus at some point in their lives. And now each would say they, they no longer do. And I'm thinking, well, Lord, I want you... I want you to use me this Christmas, not in a, like a horrible older brother way, of life, <laughs> but in a, in a gentle way, in, in a way, and, and actually some of my siblings, they, they're hurting and they need to have the God of all comfort draw close to them. When, when they, I know they tell me about their problems and, and I think, oh gosh, Lord, they're doing this without, without your comfort, without your presence in their life. And I'm sure as I've spoken briefly about my family, you will have family like that and friends. And I have found as I pray for opportunities to share Jesus with them, uh, the opportunities come up and they're kind and gentle opportunities rather than fumbling awkward opportunities. <laughs> um, which uh, some, if we, that, That's guilt evangelism. A fumbling and awkward uh, sharing of the gospel is often you're sharing it because... You feel like you really ought to because that's what good Christians do. For um, winsome and gentle but confident evangelism, I find has often come through prayer for opportunities in order to, to, share, to share my faith. Uh, the, the last verses that we're reading today. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd he gathers the lamb in his ar- lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I, I, I pray that over myself quite a lot, that last verse. He gently leads those who have young when I'm um, uh, about to go nuclear with my, not six-year-old, she's fine. It's the four-year-old. <laughs> I need to pray that over myself uh, fairly regularly. He, he, he gently leads us. And, and even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. His, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. They comfort me. The, the prophet shared the Lord's word at the beginning of this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. I've, I've spoken how um, the Lord comforted Puria's mother, uh, spoken how the Lord has 
comforted Ian Hersey Lee, where she said, she said in this interview, I don't know how, but it really works. <laughs> and she felt lifted out of her depression. And um, finally, I, I want to pray that the Lord would comfort us, know that uh, amongst us will be broken hearts, maybe broken hearts from something this week, or maybe a long hurt uh, that is, has, has lingered for, for years and maybe decades. And so let, let, let's bow our heads and pray uh, before we declare our faith. Lord Jesus, you are the king of broken hearts. Lord Jesus, by your spirit, I pray that you would bring real comfort to each of us. Think of that song that we heard earlier, that it'll, it'll be all right. And Lord, we know ultimately it'll be all right because one day you will gather us into your arms and uh, you will make your dwelling amongst us and you, the king, will return to rule this earth to administer a just and gentle government of peace. Lord, we think of those around the world desperately in need of comfort. We pray, I pray for, for Palestine and Israel and all of the, the whirlwind of news around that. That those who are suffering would receive your comfort. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.